While there are many similarities between the administration and leadership principles of secular business and those same things of the church, there are some differences also. Christian leaders, one difference is Christian leaders need a a sense of divine calling to service. An executive in a corporation can do a good job, come in, be successful, and not really have a calling to that, but in have a, a good time and, and do a good job. I believe as a Christian leader, there has to be some type of a calling to the, the ministry that God has called us to that we perform. It is not, or it should not be, about the money. Um, divine calling, if, you were going, if you're an executive and you're going to go into a, a, a high-ranking office, if you did it because of the money, then, you know, that's fine. But if you go into the ministry because of the money, then that's really not fine. First Peter 5 and 2. Here's what Peter said. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. So Peter was saying, do it because you're willing to do it and you want to do it, not because you have to. If you go into any kind of a ministry or any kind of a work for God because you have to, it won't be very successful. We have to do these things because we want to do them and do them for the right reasons. He also went on to say, don't do it because of the money. Do it because you want to be of service to people. Be eager to serve. I want to look at one of the leaders of the Old Testament. As you know, before the Israelites had a king, God appointed judges to speak to the people for him. So you might ask, well, what was a judge? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. A judge, some of the judges were military leaders. Most of the judges were political and decision makers. And all of the judges, all the people who were judges, had authority that was considered divinely endowed from God. And because of this, they were called upon to be arbitrators of of disputes. If you had a dispute with your neighbor, this judge that God had set up to take care of a a vast array of things, you would come to this judge and you would present your case before them and then they would make a decision, much like a civil court in our day. One of the judges in that day was named Deborah. Deborah was the only woman judge and she judged Israel for 40 years. Not only was she a judge, she was a prophetess and she was also the leader of the military. The accounts of the events we're going to look at today are told in the book of Judges. They're actually told twice in the book of Judges. First in the form of prose or as a story that we would read as a normal story in chapter 4. And then again in chapter 5, they're presented again in a form of poetry. Often this passage of scripture is referred to as the Song of Deborah and Barak. Judges chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. After Ehud died, and the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Imagine that. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Because he... I practiced that for hours. Uh, Because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. 
At this point in Israel's history, the Israelites had turned away from God again. As we often saw through their history, they would serve God, they would turn away. They would serve God, they would turn away. When they turned away, God would would allow their enemies to come in and take them over, and then they would repent, they'd go back, and they'd start this cycle all over. In this case, God had allowed them to be taken under the rule of a king named Jabin. He was one of the kings in Canaan. Jabin was possibly, most likely, a descendant of another guy named Jabin, who was a king, that Joshua had killed about 300 years before as the Israelites came into Canaan. He was one of the leaders over one of the strongholds, and Joshua and his army go in and they they kill this Jabin. Now here, several generations later, is another Jabin that has actually taken over and he's ruler over the Israelites because of their sin. They had been in domination for 20 years under this man. They had suffered terrible atrocities, and, and finally, after 20 years, they begin to cry out to God for deliverance from their enemy. And there was this man that was the captain of Jabin's army. His name was Sisera. The Canaanite army had 900 chariots and an army of thousands. And although Israel, we see in this passage, they had at least 10,000 warriors, they were greatly outnumbered. But back to the chariot thing. We hear about a chariot and often we think, so what? It's, it's a horse-drawn buggy made of metal. And we're not really all that impressed with it. But we have to realize the time we're looking at. In this ancient time, chariot was the very latest in war technology. Or if you're a fan of the military channel, weaponology. And better than that, a chariot would be the modern-day equivalent to a jet fighter. And the Israelites didn't have any. This was the newest and greatest thing that you could have when it came to war, and they had 900 of them. And the Israelites had none. Judges chapter 4, 4 through 7. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinadam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulon, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Sounds simple enough. We see in in this passage we just read that it talks about how Deborah served the people. One of the ways she served the people is she was available to them. In order for, for her to make decisions over these disputes, it says that she held her court at this certain place, and people knew she was always going to be there, and when they had disputes, this is where they would come to. And that was one of the signs of her leadership, is that she was there. When the people needed her, she was there for the things that she had to do. Another one was that she followed the commands of the Lord and was looking to once again free them from the oppression from an evil king. That was another sign that she was a good leader. She, she didn't want her people to be oppressed. If I'm supposed to be, and this is I'm sure the way she looked at it, if I'm supposed to be leading these people as God leads me and they're under the oppression of this evil king that's doing all these atrocities to them, 
then I need to do something about it. And so God spoke to her and said, I'm going to deliver Israel from Jabin. So Deborah doesn't say, okay, tell me what you want me to do, and I'll go down there and I'll fight this army by myself. She didn't say that. And one of the things as leaders that we have to be cautious of is that we don't go try to fight the battle all by herself. Because had Deborah gone down there, I mean, God could have made it happen, but this wasn't the way that it was supposed to happen. Deborah could have gone down there and tried to fight this thousands and thousands of, of men in an army, their 900 chariots. It would have been a very tough battle. Not for God, but for Deborah. But what she did is she called on one of her military leaders named Barak. And she tells Barak to get together an army of 10,000 men and take them to Mount Tabor. And she tells him in verse 7 that she would lure the commander of the other army, the guy named Sisera, down to the Kishon River. And once they were down here in this valley, you guys come down off the mountain and you destroy them. Good plan. Judges 4, 8 through 10. And Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Ah. Yeah, he was the military leader. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you, but because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, which he was fine with, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Now, before you just absolutely start throwing rocks at poor Barak here, there is a lot of speculation over his response to Deborah's plan. Some people said, well, he was afraid. Maybe. Some people would say, well, he doesn't have any faith. That's possible too. While there's, those are both possibilities, here's another way to look at it. Israel was plagued by defeat because of what? disobedience to God, turning away from God. Every time that they turned away from God, their enemies came in and took them over. Maybe Barak recognized that it was God that was responsible for the victorious battles that the Israelites had fought. The only battles they ever won were the ones where God went with them. In keeping with that, who better to have at your side than the one that had been the spokesperson for God's will? That's the one I know. He, this is the one God spoke to? I want her there. This is God's person? I don't mind going, but I want God's person with me because this is my connection here. Instead of looking at Barak as being this, this weak type person, <clears throat> it could also be looked at as this supreme expression of the faith on God's ability to guide and protect his people when they're obedient. He was really just saying, I believe totally what you're saying, Deborah, and I totally believe that that God spoke to you and told you that, and because I believe it so much, I want you to go. You're God's representative. His statement was basically saying, I won't go into battle unless the Lord, who is represented by Deborah, goes with me. He was a smart man. He knew that the only battles they won was what? The ones where God was with them. 
If the Israelites had used that same line of thinking consistently, they wouldn't have continually found themselves under oppression from their enemies. It was only when they turned away from God. It's only when they told the man of God, I'm tired of hearing what you have to say. I kind of like these other gods of the Canaanites better. They're really cool and they look good in my house. Your God I don't see. So I'm going to turn to these metal gods of wood and stone and, and all these other things, these idols. And they would turn away from the man of God and, and following after God. And guess what would happen? They would be defeated. Paul wrote in Philippians 4 and 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You would think that it would be a simple line of thinking that when we realize how limited we are within ourselves and how limitless we are with God, that we would never attempt to go out and do anything on our own. That we would always want to make sure that God was with us in the decisions we make. You would think. But that's exactly right. Often we wait till we have totally messed things up and then we turn to God. Isn't that what happened here? They were under oppression for 20 years and then they cried out to God for help. How many times do we do the same thing? And you know what? They didn't have these examples back then. We have it in writing. We can see that time and time again, when, you, when they served God, that God blessed them and they, they did just great. When they turned away from God, their enemies defeated them and then they got oppressed and then they turned back to God and guess what? God blessed them. And yet, even with all those examples, we find ourselves saying, you know what? I realize this is really not the direction God wants me to go, but I can do this on my own. No. God's way is the right way. You might be able to step out on your own and do fine, but God's way is still the right way. Barak knew the capabilities of his army, just as we should know the capabilities of ourself. He knew the capabilities of his enemy, which we should know the capabilities of our enemy. The Bible gives descriptions of, of what the devil is like, that he goes around like a lion seeking whom he can devour, trying to destroy us and trying to come at us with, with all these different things that he knows that he can get at us with. As we said before, the devil is smart. He knows how to get to you. As, as we've said this before, but, but please grasp hold of this this morning. The devil doesn't tempt everybody with the same things. I will tell you with, uns with total certainty that when I leave this place today, when I drive by the Circle K or the Hess station down here, I will not be tempted to go in there and rob the place. I could just tell you that. Maybe you will, but I won't. But I can tell you that between here and my house, there could be some things that the devil would throw up at me and tempt me with. Amen. Why? Because he knows what works. He could have that person pulled out in front of me and almost hit me and I have to slam on my brakes and I spill what's in the car and I want to say, why did you do that? God bless you. Those are the things that he does. Why? Because he knows what works. 
And that's why we have to be aware of who our enemy is. Barak knew, this is how many men I have. I have 10,000 men. I know they have a whole lot more men and they have 900 chariots. And really, if I'm going to do this, i got to be with God. i got to make sure he's with me. The 900 chariots, this is kind of cool too. The 900 chariots of Sisera's army most likely had iron scythes. You know what scythes are? They're the things that they went out into a field, have a curved blade, and they would do the thrashing with in the field. They would have these scythes attached to the axles of the, the chariots, and they would be sticking out like this. And as the chariot drivers drove these chariots through the foot soldiers of the Israelites, it would just chop them to pieces. How cool is that? So here's Barak, and he's thinking about all these things, and he's saying, this is not a good picture. This is not a good situation to be going into without leadership from God. I don't want to go into this battle without spiritual leadership. And we should not want to go into everyday life and into the battles we face out there without spiritual leadership. Well, does it mean I have to go to church? No, not really. You don't have to. Honestly, if you never went to church, could you go to heaven? I guess. If you went through the plan of salvation and you did all those things. But let me tell you something. It won't hurt anything for you to come and be fed and for you to come and have that spiritual leadership that sometimes that we need to hear from outside ourselves. Yeah, I mean, Barak was a military man. He could have said, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're outnumbered, but I've got a great plan, and we're just going to go down there and just fight to the death. And you know what? Maybe be successful. But he did know one thing. If we take God with us, if I have this representative God with me, we're going to win this battle. And I'm not going unless she goes. So in response to Barak saying, I'm not going unless you go, Deborah says, okay, I'll go with you. You have to realize Deborah was not a stand-on-the-sideline leader. She did not ask anything from her people that she wasn't willing to do herself. I will send you into battle. You know what? I'll go with you if that's what you want. But there was one thing she warned Barak of. She said, if I go with you, you're going to have to relinquish all of the praise that comes after that we win this battle, because we're going to win. And since you demanded that I go with you, I'm going to get the credit for it. He said, that's fine. No problem. And see, that was an important thing in that day, because there was a clear distinction of duties back then between men and women. Men went off and did things like fighting wars. And women did the gardening and keeping up the house and that kind of stuff. So here's a woman that's going to lead an army into battle. That went way against the way things went back then. This whole example, though, with Deborah in leadership, it suggests that the Bible doesn't endorse a division of labor based on gender. I don't think it really makes any difference. There are people that say, Oh, I'm not going to sit and listen to a woman teach. Well, then you're just crazy. If she's led of God, 
then listen. It doesn't matter the gender. There could have been, you know, here's 10,000 men and they see Deborah coming up and go, I'm not fighting a battle with her. Why? If she's, if she's sent of God and if she's led of God, what difference does it make? You say, well, what's the big deal with that? Because there is a big deal with that with some people, and it shouldn't be. And I think we have things in the Bible just like this to let us know that God is not a respecter of gender. He can use male and female and, and old and young and, and rich and poor and everybody in between to do His will. In this account, a woman was the people's hero. In Judges chapter 4, verses 14 and through 16. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. How about that? But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth Hagoyim. All the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Killed every one of them. Except Sisera. So here's Barak and Deborah and 10,000 of their closest friends up on Mount Tabor waiting for Sisera and his chariot-led army to come through the plains in the valley along the Kishon River. That's exactly right. And I'm sure that's what Cicero thought. We're going to come marching up with our 15, 20, 25,000 soldiers and led by 900 chariots, and these guys up on the mountain are going to see us and they're going to go, I ain't going down there. I'm not fighting this battle. But it didn't work. They roll into the plains down by the river, and on Deborah's orders, Barak takes them in, leads them down the hill, and attacks Sisera's army. And it says, and the Lord destroyed that army. Now here's something interesting. The Jewish historian Josephus wrote that during this battle, a storm from the east, and this is a quote, a storm from the east beat furiously in the faces of the Canaanites, but on the backs of the Jews. So picture this. They're coming down off the mountain. There's the enemy down there. The rain's at their back, which is not nearly as bad as it being in your face. And they're coming down the mountain, and the, the rain is in the face of the enemy, and so they're coming down the mountain. That's bad enough. But the rain was possibly the reason that the chariots were of no use. Because it insinuates that there was this tremendous amount of rain. And I assure you that those chariots were not made out of some lightweight alloy. They were made out of heavy metal. And as this rain comes up, it turns to mud. The chariots get bogged down. And guess what? They're not a whole lot of use then. Kind of like if you had all these fighter planes and the weather was so bad you couldn't send them in, it doesn't really matter how many you have. So at some point, the chariots were probably bogged down in the mud 
during or before the, the attack. Another evidence for this massive quantity of rain is found in Judges chapter 5. In Judges chapter 5, remember I said there's two different versions of this story. One's in prose in chapter 4, and one is in poetry in chapter 5. Well, in the poetry version, look what it says. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the, Ki- the river Kishon, march on, my soul, be strong. For that river to have swept away these men as they died and fell, that means there had to be this tremendous deluge of water come in and raise the water up out of its banks to sweep all these dead bodies away. The regular river wouldn't have been able to do that. So there's further proof that there was this tremendous rain that came along. You say, well, that was just a coincidence. No. Go back to the verse right before this one right here. From the heavens the stars fought their courses, they fought against Sisera. This is a poetic way of saying God caused even nature to join in the battle against these people so that his people could win. He said, I will go with you into battle. And if he goes with us into battle, he can use whatever means he wants to use. If he wants to send rain in their faces and bog down their chariots and water that's sweeping through the river that washes the bodies away, hey, you got to love that. Sometimes we might go into a situation not seeing exactly how we're going to be able to accomplish this task. And I'm sure there were some of those men standing up on the the mountain looking down at Sisera's army and they weren't near as confident as Barak or Deborah. And without that confidence of leadership, they would have probably turned around and gone home. That's another reason why we need to have godly leadership in our life because there are times when we would say i can't do this anymore i'm not going to do it anymore i'm just going to turn around and go home but we come to church and somebody gets up here and they they read from the word of god and they they expound from this this the scripture and all of a sudden we say now i know why i was there today had it not been there i wouldn't have gotten that Had those soldiers not showed up on that mountain, they would have never experienced the victory. Absolutely. So the Israelites go into battle, as God told them to, And God delivered the victory to them. All of Sisera's men were killed, the entire army. On the other hand, Sisera himself, this is kind of a a show of of the difference in leadership between Deborah and Barak and Sisera. While all his men are out there getting killed, he goes the other way. He runs away. And he goes to a place that he thought was a friendly place. It was the home of a a woman named J.L. And he thought, I can go here and I can hide. And he goes to the door and he says, "Um, hey, I'm really thirsty. Can I come in and I'm tired? Can I lay down for a little bit? So she goes and gets him some milk, maybe some cookies, doesn't say. But she gets him some milk and he lays down and he goes to sleep. 
And while he's asleep, this lady, J.L., takes a tent stake and drives it through his head. That's what the Bible says. I guess you could say she drove her point home. She made her point. He got the point. Going on. If we look at the leadership of Deborah, we start to see the fundamental differences between spiritual leaders and secular business leaders. Yes, there are some things in common. Leadership is leadership in a lot of ways. But when it comes to spiritual leaders, they don't always look to what they think is the best way to go. A spiritual leader will will follow the leading of God. If God says, this is the direction we go in, and the leader goes, I I don't see that. And God says, that's what I want you to do. They do it anyway. Deborah was called to lead by God. It says... She led for 20 years. She judged Israel. And she made important decisions by listening to the voice of God. That's the key. She listened to the voice of God. Her her line of thought was, if God says this is the way that I'm to do it, then I will go do it that way. Also, her leadership skills were good because of the way she, she led her everyday life and the everyday affairs of, of, the, of the Israelites. She was fair when mediating conflicts. And because the people knew she was fair, they were willing to follow her. She, she judged them in a godly way. And so the people just naturally assumed that she was led of God. And because of that, they were willing to follow her. Leadership has certain qualities in any situation. 34th President of the United States, Dwight Eisenhower, said it this way, and I quote, In order to be a leader, a man must have followers. And to have followers, a man must have their confidence. Hence, the supreme quality of a leader is unquestionably integrity. Without it, no real success is possible, no matter whether it's on a section gang, on a football field, in an army or in an office. If a, man asso- if a man's associates find him guilty of phoniness, if they find that he lacks forthright integrity, he will fail. His teachings and actions must square with each other. Deborah's teachings and her actions squared with each other. Her godly way that she conducted her everyday life and the affairs of the people of Israel squared with the way that she went around doing things. She was led of God and she followed God. Sometimes when the topic of leadership is brought up in a church situation, there are people that react differently. Some people react positively and other people react negatively. And one of the problems, one of the reasons people react negatively is because of poor leadership in their past. If you have ever sat in a church under bad leadership, that's not reason enough to say, I'll never listen to a church leader again. If you had a bad experience in a church, that's not a good reason to say, I'll never go back to church again. Yeah, but you don't know this pastor. You don't know what he did. It doesn't matter. 
if he did something wrong and it wasn't of God, there are plenty of good, godly leaders out there. I believe because there are some that are not exactly godly leaders, that's why it's so important for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that the Spirit can help us discern the things that are of God and the things that aren't. I would ask that if you sit in a Sunday school class that I'm teaching, or anybody else for that matter, if you're sitting in a Sunday school class that I'm teaching, and I say something that doesn't match up with this right here, don't believe it. If it doesn't match up with this, it doesn't matter how convincing I am, don't believe it. Because anything other than what matches up with this Word of God is not true. And if we don't know what this says, how are we going to know what is true and what's not? If we don't have the Spirit of God in our, in our life, how are we going to discern between right and wrong? Paul was a tremendous man. And he went on these missionary journeys across the southern part of, of Europe, what's now Europe. And he started all of these churches as he traveled. He wrote back to one of the churches that he had, that he had founded. It was the church of the Galatians. And in Galatians 1 and 8, look what he said. But even if we, speaking of himself, if I myself come back or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Paul said, when I was there, I taught you what what God led me to say. If I come back and tell you something different, or in the meantime, if an angel stops by and tells you something different, don't believe it. And that goes into this, this whole thought of when we sit under leadership, we have to make sure that we have something in here that will tell us that what comes from here lines up with this. And for everybody listening to this, you had to be here to see where I was pointing to, if you're not here this morning. A good leader, stay with me for a second here, a good leader will expect you to follow, but he will not expect you to follow blindly. There's a difference in following and following blindly, because when you follow blindly, That's when you can go and follow things that are contrary to the Word of God. There are a lot of good leaders in the ministry that teach the Bible as truth without adding their own personal additions and agendas and revelations. Those are the spiritual leaders we should support. Those are the spiritual leaders that we should follow. As they follow after God and teach from the Scripture, We should support them in every way we can at the same time. I believe that each of us has a personal responsibility to be full of the Holy Spirit and study and pray so that we know when it's God's will and when it's not. We have fantastic leadership in this church. Pastor Magine, tremendous man of God. I love him. But if something happened 
and he got up here and started teaching something that didn't line up with the Word of God, I would have to tell you. I'd have to say, Pastor, I just don't think that's right. I don't think you can sit in a church for 20 years and listen to a pastor preach things that are just horrendous and say you didn't realize what he believed. Not to be political or anything, but that just came out. But it goes to what we're talking about this morning of leadership and personal responsibility. We need to know what the Bible says. We need to have the Spirit in our life so that when we hear these things, we know if they're right or wrong. Look how many people have been led down a path of destruction by people that were supposed to be men of God. Jim Jones started off as a Pentecostal preacher and ended up with all these people down in Guyana drinking poison Kool-Aid. And they did it because he said to do it. And the ones that wouldn't do it, they shot him and killed him. And they went there on their own. At some point, something happened. Something happened to Jim Jones and something happened to the people that they, they said, well, whatever he says must be right. This is the ultimate authority. If, you are, if someone says something doesn't line up with this, it's not right. Now don't get me wrong. Let me clarify something here. I'm not saying that if Pastor Magin gets up and says something you don't like, then you shouldn't support him. That's not what I'm saying. God has not called him to tell us everything we like. God has not called him to tell us everything we want to hear. He has called us to tell us what the Bible says it has for us as He leads us. If it is from God, and if it matches up to the Scripture, if you don't like it, then He's still right. And that would mean that you are not right. If, if it matches up to the Word of God. Now, there are some pastors that especially in, in later times in, in some churches and some supposed spiritual leaders that say, I have absolute authority. Let me tell you something. God has absolute authority. And if the pastor, I don't care who you are, if you step out of the will of God and expect people to follow you, you're asking people to follow you to hell. And that doesn't work. There are too many people that have left a church because of something a pastor taught, even though it lined up with the Scripture. They just didn't like it. On the other hand, there are people that have sat in churches for year after year and hear things that aren't even close to being spiritual, and they just stayed there. Why? Because they didn't know the difference. We have personal responsibility. Yes, God provides leadership. And, and that's wonderful. And then God will put that leadership there to help us, just as, as, as it says, High Point Church, helping you to reach the high point in your walk with Christ. And yes, that's what the ministry of this church is, is there to do. But there's a certain responsibility to each and every one of us 
to discern what's being said. If a spiritual leader is truly following after God as Deborah did, I assure you, you will not be led in the wrong direction and down a path of destruction. Going into battle the way that they went into battle was probably not what all of those 10,000 men wanted to hear. I'm sure there were some that said, we don't have a chance. That won't work. You know, it doesn't matter. If you have a group of people get together and try to make decisions on something, there's always going to be some that say, oh, that'll never work. But here's the difference. These people knew that Deborah followed after God. They knew that in the past that when their ancestors followed a leader that followed God, they were victorious. So even though I don't understand, I think I'll go with the leader that's following God. So they supported Deborah. The nation of Israel went through cycles that we talked about many times in its history. And you can label these cycles as sin, sorrow, supplication, and salvation. And then they'd start right back over. And it was this circle of sin, sorrow, supplication, salvation. Sin, sorrow, supplication, salvation. You would think they would break that cycle at some point because they would see as they're going round and round this cycle what works and what doesn't. During the time of Judges, the salvation part of the process came through the activity of divinely commissioned leaders like Deborah. That was where their salvation came from. When they were oppressed to a point that, as our Scripture said today, that they cried out to God. We can't take this anymore. God, help us. This is where Deborah stepped in. And she led the people out of oppression. I believe that truly today we can depend on God to give His people the best spiritual leadership. Our part is to wisely discern the nature of this true leadership, who has this true leadership, and follow it when we see it displayed. You know, too many times when somebody's unhappy at a church, the pastor is the one that, that gets the blame because he's the easiest one to pick on because he's up front. But I would have to ask this. If we get to that point to where we want to blame the pastor because we're not happy, are we doing everything that we're supposed to be doing? And are we following after what our leaders are asking us to do? If that's why you're not happy, then you'll probably never, if, because you're not doing that, you'll never be happy anywhere you go. It's true. There are people that are out there today looking for the perfect church. You'll never find it. 
Because as soon as you show up, it won't be perfect anymore. It's not there, folks. There will be things at every church that you don't like. It doesn't matter how big it is or how small it is. But here's what I would say. If you find a church, and this is not for just the people that are here. I'm talking about people that that listen to this on, on the website and other ways. If you are in a church and you are being led by a leader that's a spiritual leader that follows the Word of God, then support your pastor. Support your pastor. The key word to what we're talking about here today is not just leadership, but it's discernment. There will always be people out there that are claiming to be led of God. And sadly, there are so many Christians that are so shallow in their walk with God, they can't tell the difference. I hear things sometimes from people that are supposed to be these tremendous men of God, and I hear them say things and go, where'd they get that? That's, that's not biblical. And yet there's people that look at it and go, oh, he's just great. There's, there's a tremendous difference in a great orator and a great leader. A person that can stand up here and just say, words that make you feel good and 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 make you happy happy so that when you leave you got a big smile on your face that's a great order but a true leader sometimes will tell you things you don't want to hear that's what the bible spoke of looking for someone that will tickle their ears that's exactly right we have leaders from god at high point church if you're in a church where you have godly leadership Support the leadership of your church. Deborah's words matched her work. I believe our pastor's words match his work. He doesn't say anything from this pulpit that he doesn't live. Deborah claimed to have a mission from God. And so she carried it out by getting others involved. And ultimately gave God the credit and the glory for the victory. Today, for some in the ministry, the focus is on the person and not on God. And I can tell you this, anytime you see that, you can be certain that's not the person you want to follow. The key trait to A good spiritual leader is someone that will always give God the glory for any and all successes. Our pastors need our support. And by support, I'm not talking about giving in the offering. Yes, we need to do that. But so many times when we say support our pastor, that's all we think about is money. There are other ways that that we can support our pastor. We support them with our prayers. We support them with our ideas. You know, you go to pastor, you know, I got this idea. Maybe we could do this or this. And then you're willing to take this project and go with it. That's another way we support our pastors. We support them by carrying out 
our own ministry that God has called us to. We support them through encouragement that we give to them. We support them by following the things that they teach. God has given us great leadership here at High Point Church. If we will follow that leadership as they follow God, just as the Israelites realized victory by following Deborah as she followed God, we too will be victorious in the things that God has called us to as a church. God bless you.